You guys don't, you guys haven't experienced that? Let me tell you about one of those mornings. Every Sunday, Sunday morning is my favorite morning of the entire week. Sunday morning, I get up at five o'clock in the morning and nobody at my house is awake or there's not a peep, not a sound, a couple of mice here and there, but no big deal. And we'll sit down and, and I, I'll sit down and just have a time of prayer and just seeking the Lord and, and, you know, go, looking at, at the word and just waiting for him to, to speak. This morning when that alarm went off, I was dragging. And I thought for a minute, I thought, no, I'll just skip it. And then I said, no, because if it was duck hunting, I'd get up. <laughs> so I got up and, and I went out and I was in a bit of a fog. And I went in, the first thing I do every Sunday morning is I go to the to coffee maker. Now, my wife likes cowboy coffee. A lot of cowboy coffee drinkers out there. Yeah, she likes cowboy. She likes the coffee, tastes so lousy that only she'll drink it. And I'm a sissy. I drink sissy coffee. I put as much French, I put more French vanilla than coffee in my coffee. So... She'll fill it all the way to the brim with coffee grounds, straight across the top. It's like, no wonder we're going through coffee, like it's, it's going out of style. Well, I, should, I should buy stock. And so there's always grounds inside the coffee maker. So, and I hate grounds in my coffee. So I take it apart and I pull the inside thing out, you know, and I clean it all out. I get it all ready and I put the little filter thing in and I fill that thing up with, with uh, not as many scoops as Kathy, <clears throat> like a normal amount. I put it in there, and I fill it up with water, and I put the, the coffee pot, and I push the button. And I'm looking at it. Something's not right. Don't know what's not right. Something's not in my head. Something's wrong. Nothing's happening. So I push the button a couple more times. Then it, it starts to sound like it's working. It's okay. So I go back, I sit down, and, and I open up my Bible, and I'm just praying and reading, and All of a sudden, I hear this whoosh. And I look up. And there's a coffee maker, right? On the other side of the table, on the counter. And for some reason, it has blown up. (laughs) And coffee and coffee grounds flew everywhere. It flew. It was unreal. I I can't even explain to you how tragic it was. (laughs) And I'm looking and I'm thinking, Lord, don't you know? I'm barely hanging on here this morning. I really need that cup of coffee. So I get up and I had to go get a bunch of towels because there's just coffee. Uh, oh, it looked like the apocalypse of coffee. And I, and I got out and I cleaned up all that coffee and I'm tr- thinking, what in the world? There is more grounds in the pot. It's just full of grounds, grounds everywhere. And I look in the sink. You know that little thing I took out to clean? It's still sitting there. Apparently, a coffee maker doesn't work if you don't have the thing that's supposed to hold the paper. If you just stick the paper in the top because you're so stupid, and you put coffee in that, water just fills it up, and then all of a sudden, it just goes block. So, I learned my lesson. I put the piece back in, put the coffee back in, and got my coffee this morning, and I said... You know, Lord, I was just thinking, I, I need to have a, a story, an intro. But, you, you know, 
We don't have to do it like this every Sunday morning. We can find other ways. Other ways of taking a look. <laughs> As we look, Kathy is so fond of, of this statement. I love, I love my wife because she is always happy. She, I'm the eternal pessimist. She's the eternal optimist. You want to know Pollyanna? She's sitting right up here in blonde hair. And, uh, but that's good for me. She balances me. She balances me. And she has this phrase, flip it. You know, we can look at things that occur in our life and we can get all bent. And we can get mad and we can get upset and we can overreact. Or we can just flip it. Change our perspective. It changes everything. And this morning we want to talk about having a change of perspective. Seeing things a little differently maybe than, than what we're used to seeing. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. As you open there, you're going to want to hold your finger there. Because I'm going to make you go someplace else. It's horrible getting old. I know, I know. But I can't see to save my life. There. Now I can see this. I can't see any of you guys. <clears throat> I want you to hold your finger there and turn to John. John chapter 3. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And I just want to give you a little bit of background on what we're going to talk about this morning. John chapter 3 verse 14. Jesus speaking to Nicodemus says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, but men love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light. And does not come to the light, lest his deeds would be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. 1 John chapter 1, it says this, This is the message that we have heard from him and declared to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. No darkness at all. You remember Jesus, he, he, in one of the seven great I am statements in the gospel of John, he said, I am the light of the world. But sometimes we miss the circumstances around what Jesus said, what was going on at the time. It was at the end of the, the feast of tabernacles, the last great night of the feast. They had these candelabras that were as tall as the temple. Now the temple, the models of the temple that I've seen, you're looking at the two to three story building in height. So they had these huge candelabras. And in each one of them held 60, the top of each one where they lit, held 65 liters of oil. And the priest would have to climb up a ladder with oil to fill those up. 
And then they'd have the wick protruding. And the younger priest, because the older guys were smart enough not to want to do it, the younger priest would go up and they'd climb up and they'd light that, that candelabra on that last great night. And that light would shine and the people, the priests, would grab torches and they would sing and they'd play music and they'd dance to the Lord and they'd celebrate when the pillar of fire was with the children of Israel. So they'd make this man-made, humongous light that lit up the whole temple and all of Jerusalem. It was amazing. They'd sing praises and they'd dance all long into the night. And the next morning, the next morning, the wicks burn up, all the oil's burnt, that giant flame is gone. People are looking around at the, the, the morning after the, the party that had gone on the night before. And at that moment, while the burned up wicks are behind him and the lights are all gone, in John chapter 8, verse 12, it says, Then Jesus spoke to them again and said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Guys, they were were celebrating what used to be. The glory that used to be. When they used to be able to just look out their doors and see the majesty of God in the middle of their camp. They could see the light. The pillar of fire, the Shekinah of God, the glory of God, this cloud that that enveloped them. There was no question ever whether God was present. They saw this, this symbolism of his presence. And they longed for it. For 400 years, they hadn't seen it. For 400 years, there was no light. For 400 years, the the Holy of Holies in the temple, the high priest would go in and look around, but there was no Shekinah. The Shekinah wasn't there. The glory of God had departed the nation of Israel long before. And at this time in their history, longing for the glory of God to come again, the morning after, Jesus stood in the treasury of the temple, a courtyard outside the temple, and declared, I am he. When he said, I'm the light of the world, he was saying, guys, I'm the burning bush. I'm the pillar of fire. I'm the Shekinah glory of God. I'm what stood between you and Egypt. I'm the glory that has departed, but I'm here again. I've come back. I've come back To usher in for you a a time of grace. If you will receive me. If you will believe. But we know how the story ends, don't we? It's not very long before that same one who declared, I am the glory of God, was nailed to a cross. To pay the price for our sins. That was God's plan all along. And as we look this morning in Ephesians chapter 5, it gives us a little concept, guys, of of the wealth that we have in Christ. And now now we're talking about, we've been talking about for the last several weeks, walking the way God wants us to walk. We talked about walking in unity. We've talked about walking in purity. Last week we talked about walking in love. And this morning as we take a look in 
Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, it says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. He wants us to walk as children of the light. But I can't get over that first phrase. He doesn't say you were once in darkness, does he? He says you were once darkness. You were darkness. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, or sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Listen, this is the important part. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We were once darkness, dead. Remember we talked about that in Ephesians chapter 2. The problem is not that we're sick. The problem is not that we've, we've got a diseased heart. The problem is we're dead. And we are only made alive in Christ Jesus. Jesus who declared to you and I, I am the light of the world. He says, once you were darkness. We read about that last week. All these things in, uh, in chapter 5, verse 3. But fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, let it not even be named among you as fitting for the saints. Neither filthiness or foolish talking or coarse jesting, which is not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. For this you know, no fornicator, unclean person, covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let No one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Don't be partakers with them. Walk as children of the light. Well, the Lord declared to us, God is light. Jesus said, He is light. How do we see the light of God manifest? Listen, physically, the light of God speaks of the glory of God. It speaks of that glory and the majesty. Morally, it speaks of God's holiness. That God is holy. And intellectually, the light speaks of the knowledge of God, coming to the fullness of the knowledge of Him. So when He calls us now to say, walk as children of the light, as you are in the Lord, walk as children of the light, He wants us, To realize our light is in Jesus Christ. The light that we reflect is just like the light of the moon. How is it the light? Does the moon have any light of its own? None. What does the moon shine with? Reflects the light of the sun. Jesus, when he came to the world, said, I am the light of the world. It was as though the sun was present right there on earth. The light of Almighty God. And then he went... To heaven. And he says, now you are my lights. We don't shine with our own light. We reflect the light of Jesus Christ. We reflect his light. And that light is found in our relationship with him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he speaks to this. He says, now do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? 
What communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. We are called to be ye separate. Guys, the, the mark of the believer, more often than not, is that date we look at when we first ask Jesus to be our Lord and Savior. But the reality is the mark of the believer is the walk that comes after that. It's the walk that comes from that time forward. When we look in the scriptures, in the book of Ephesians, it talks over and again, walk in love, walk in unity. Here, walk as children of the light. That word walk is peripateo. It means to habitually form your conduct. It means that this is what marks you. When he talked about that there's no fornicator or idolater or covetous person and all those, the list of all those sins, when he lists that out, he's saying no one who habitually is defined by those things is part of the kingdom of God. He says, rather habitually define yourself as one who walks in unity with the brethren. One who walks in purity before God. One who walks in love as Jesus Christ walked in love. One who walks in the light of God as children of light. He wants us to make this that which separates us, that which sets our light apart. So, if light speaks physically of the glory of God, then we should walk in the light of God's glory. It's so much different from other people, guys, when we say, I live my life for the glory of God. I'm living my life to glorify Him. That's walking in the light. I live my life to glorify God. A whole world of people that live their life to, to satisfy self, to look for what, to get mine, to have success, or whatever. You want to make your main focus. I want to I glorify God by everything I do. But whatever job I work, by, by the way I drive, the way I play, the things I read, the things I watch, the things I hear, the things I do. I want to glorify God in all of those things. So I want to be focused on the light. I want to be focused on that which pleases Him. That which pleases Him. Listen, it's in Psalm 119, it says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Your word is a light. I want to understand what glorifies God. I'll find what glorifies God in his word. As I study his word and I apply his word, and then I walk in his word. Walking in the light to glorify God. We also talked about the fact that morally it speaks of God's holiness. And we see the scripture calling us to be separate. Step out from among them. Our lives have to be different. 
They have to be different. By being different, does that mean my works save me? Not at all. My faith saves me, but since my faith has saved me, I will walk differently. For I was once darkness, now I'm light in the Lord. Doesn't that speak of two drastically different things? I mean, think about the old life. I think about the old me, and I don't miss it at all. I'm drastically different today than I was yesterday. I'm drastically different in this new life, new creation created in Christ Jesus. We've constantly got to be moving toward him and away from the old us. Why? Because I'm earning salvation? No, because I am saved. Because I love Jesus Christ, because I love the Lord, I want to follow him. I want to walk as he walks. I want to be holy as he is holy. But on top of that, I want to live my life in the open. If you feel like you've got some kind of secret life, for years I did. For years, I was a top secret Christian. There's people in my life that I called years later to found that I, I talked to them. It was guys I was in the Marine Corps with. <clears throat> and they said to me, so, Jackie, what are you doing now? I said, oh, I'm a pastor. You're a what? Do they know what you've done? No, I try not to tell nobody about any of that stuff. <clears throat> That's what I was. That's not what I am. It's not, and I want to live my life in the open, not ashamed of the stuff that's done in secret. Just open. The Bible says that we should live our life blameless. That's what it's talking about, above reproach. That means that somebody could be watching you all day and not see something that's, that's going to disappoint them, your witness, or bring a shadow over the light of God that's burning in your life. We want to live our lives in the open. And we want to live our lives enlightened by God who knows everything. Does that ever boggle your mind that God knows everything? Well, maybe you need to think about it like this. In Psalm 139, it says, O Lord, you search me and know me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all my ways. There is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. <coughs> Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. The psalmist says that God knows everything. He knows when he's going to get up, knows when he's going to lay down. He comprehends his path. That means how long he's going to live. When he'll rise up and when he'll lie down. When life is over. He knows every word that you said, every thought that you think. And he loves you anyway. He knew you intimately before he ever died for you and it didn't matter he still was willing so the psalmist says such thoughts are too wonderful for me it's high i can't i can't even begin to grasp how god knows me intimately in every aspect of my life secret in that which i live before man and he loves me i want to walk in that I want to walk in the freedom that I have and saying, you know, God knows me and he loves me. <clears throat> Scripture goes on to tell us in, in uh, Proverbs chapter 5, For the ways of a man are before the eyes of God, 
and he ponders all his paths. God knows the things we're doing, where we're going, and how it is that we're going to get there. But you see, Ephesians 5 goes on and it says, Now, not only were you once darkness, now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. You see, he gives us a little test of how we can know. Am I walking in the light? What does it mean to be walking in the light? What is the fruit of walking in the light? What is the fruit of that kind of character that God is working out in us? Well, there's going to be goodness. And and that, that concept behind that word goodness brings us to the word generosity. That we're going to be good people. That there's righteousness. That's integrity between men and integrity with God. Being right with man, being right with God. And then he speaks of truth. Truth is going to be a fruit. Truth, the absence of all falsehood and deception. <clears throat> Chuck Missler says it like this, and I like it. When word and deed become one. We all know people who can talk the talk, right? I don't care where you are and what you do. We all know people who can talk the talk. It's a whole different matter when they can walk the walk. It's not just about what you say, but what you say matches up with what you do. Walk as children of the light. Experience the goodness, the righteousness, the truth. And then ultimately, he says, putting to test and approving what is well-pleasing to God. We take a look and we say, what I'm about to do, I want to walk in the light. What am I about to do? Does it, does it, is it good? Is it righteous? Is it truth? Is it something that God's pleased about? Is it something that honors Him? Is it something that brings Him glory? Proverbs 4, 18 and 19 says this, But the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter unto that perfect day. The way of the wicked is like darkness, for they do not know what makes him stumble. So the bottom line as we look at this, this this morning is, listen, are you walking in the light or are you walking in the dark? Because the Lord says, listen, in light of all that God's done for you and in light of the, the blessings that he's poured out in your life, walk in the light so you can see. <clears throat> walk in the light so that you, you have in your wake goodness and mercy. I love that in the 23rd Psalm. In the 23rd Psalm, as the psalmist winds up the psalm, he says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The concept, the picture that he's painting poetically is that that of a wake behind a boat. And in that wake is goodness and mercy. Wherever he goes, goodness and mercy follows him. It's behind him. Here he's saying that fruit of walking in the light is goodness and righteousness and truth. That that kind of integrity should be what makes up our lives. Whenever I think about this, I always think about the same story. Corey Ten Boom's dad. Father Ten Boom. I don't remember his name. <laughs> when Corey was a little girl, they were in hard times. And they, they hadn't got to the point where they're hiding anybody in their house yet. And her father owned a, a watch store uh, that 
fixing and, and making watches. And times were hard, man. And this guy came in to buy this watch. And when he bought this watch from Corey Tim Boom's father, man, it would make them. It would cover all their shortcomings, everything that they needed. And it's like looking at it and saying, oh, God, you're provided. Here comes a man to buy this watch. And he comes in and he's, through the course of the transaction, the man who's buying the watch, he says to Corey Timboom's dad, he says, yeah, you know, really I just wanted to fix mine, but I guess it's beyond fixing. It can't be repaired. That's why I'm going to buy this one from you. And his dad stopped. Well, let me see the other watch. And he pulled out that other watch, and Corey Timboom's dad looked at that watch, and literally within seconds, he fixed it. Gave it back to him, and didn't make a dime. The bills were still piling up. Times were still getting hard. The Holocaust was coming. Way worse times were on the horizon. When that guy walked out, Corey had been watching. Corey Timboom had been watching from the other room. And she comes running out. Dad, what did you do? I mean, everything we needed was wrapped up in selling that guy to watch. Sell him the watch. Corey Timboom's dad said, oh, no. No. My father owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And I won't do wrong to a brother just so that I can get over. How does that make God look? What if that guy left and and discovered later on that he was able to fix that watch? In what light did I just portray the Lord? He said, no, better, far better for me to trust in God. And that's how he lived his life. Ultimately, that's how Corey Tenboom lived her life as well. Did she learn a lesson from her father? Yeah. Does character matter? Yeah, I don't care what the president says. (laughs) Character matters. What you do, what you say, how you walk. So he declares to us, walk as children of the light. Have these things following you and ultimately finding out what is acceptable. People ask me all the time, we'll talk about it a little bit more in a moment, how do I know the will of God? Simple, take the general principles that we are taught in God's word and apply them to the specifics in your life. Pray, seek the Lord, and then move. Go, do. Huh? Yeah. God is not going to get on a bullhorn and scream in your ear. Well, not all the time. Is God going to get on a bullhorn and scream in your ear? He expects us to trust him. He said, if we lack wisdom, let us ask of God. And he will give it to us. So before we move, we pray. God, guide me. This is an important decision. I need to be led by you. And then, step out. Pray. Seek the Lord. If you're married, you got a built-in system of, of checks and balances. Because my wife has the same Holy Spirit that I have. Isn't that amazing? And if my wife has the same Holy Spirit as I have, I promise you, in a marriage relationship, God is not calling her to go left and me to go right. Men have to learn. Where it be, be, well, at least a week before we get to man's favorite scripture in the Bible. 
<clears throat> but when we look at it, listen, the Bible says to let the peace of God rule in your heart. Like an umpire, let the peace of God rule in your heart. So when I am ready for a decision, and Kathy and I are looking for a house. We're looking to move to, to Buell or Castleford area, and, and we had some plans, but God said no to those. So we're open for, the, for other. And as we're making decisions, as we're looking about what God wants, we're going to pray together. And I'm not going to stomp my foot and say, you're going to do what I say. That's dumb. That is why God said to Abraham, listen to Sarah. That was Abraham's wife, by the way. Because Sarah was leaning into the Spirit and was aware of what the Spirit was doing at that time. Later on, God says to Sarah, listen to Abraham. What are you thinking? We have one another. God's going to call us the same way. When Kathy and I can look at each other and say, I got a piece, I got a piece too, then jump. It's time. We're in agreement. We move forward. That's how God guides, how God leads. We want to prove what is acceptable to the Lord. Then what do we do? We take our conduct into the light. Shine a light on it. See what happens. I remember how they used to get rid of us in the bar at 2 in the morning. And everybody is laughing has been there too. I'm in the bar at 2 in the morning and I'm just thinking how much fun I'm having. That's the dumbest thing I ever had, but we'll get to that in a minute too. And I'm sitting there and they'd say, they do their last call, last call. And we'd all, last call for alcohol. But how'd they get us out? Turn on a light. Man, I can't see. I'm out of here. But the funny thing is, that's real. When we're walking in the darkness, we don't want to be in the light. Isn't that what Jesus said in John chapter 3? This is the condemnation of men, that light came to the world. Jesus Christ, God Almighty, came and shined a light and said, here's truth, here's righteousness, here's everything that's good. But man loved the darkness and won't come out and stand in the light. So bring your deeds, bring the things you want to, to the light. Shine the light of God on it. And prove what is acceptable to him. Because the light will make manifest. Isn't that what he says? Look at this next scripture. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. Have no fellowship with the dark. Get in the light. Get out of the dark. If what you're doing feels like dark, smells like dark, looks like dark, it's dark. Get out of the dark. How do you get out of the dark? Turn on a light. What happens to the dark when you turn on a light? It's gone. Man, Joe knows that. Joe comes home at night. If all the lights are out, he's like, Dad, get a light on Dad. Dad, get a light, light, light. I can't see. Bad things can be in the dark. Turn on a light. Dark's gone. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. We've already talked about all those works. Get out of the dark. Stand in the light. Then he says it's shameful even to speak of them. Don't entertain it. Don't play with it. Don't tickle the darkness. Stay away from the darkness. Oh, but it's so cute. It's nothing cute. There's nothing cute about that scorpion. Oh, yeah, he's cute. 
You know, when I live in the desert, just to prove to you that there are stupid people in California, (laughs) there was actually an article in the paper that said, Child bit by pet scorpion. Wow, there's a joke in there somewhere, isn't there? No kidding, bit by a scorpion. Show a picture of him. His lips are enormous, all swelled up. Now there's another joke. Read the story. He got bit, stung on the lip. How'd you get stung on a lip, brother? <laughs> My pet scorpion's so cute, I just wanted to kiss him. <laughs> you did what? <laughs> Think about what the scorpion sees. <laughs> ah, he's going to eat me. Shabam! <laughs> oh, I just want to, just want to tickle the, the cute little darkness. No pet scorpions. Don't play with sin. Sin will smack you just like that. You'll think, oh, I'm getting away with it. It'll get you. It'll bite you just like that scorpion. But that young man, stay out of the darkness. Don't be with them. Don't even talk about it. Don't play games with it. Don't play it. Just, just, just stay away. Get in the light. Be separate. Stand in the light of God. And step away from the darkness. That's what he's calling us to. He says right here, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. Anything you can bring to the light that can stay in the light, that can stand in the light, it's of the light. Bring it into the light of God. For whatever makes manifest is light. So he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Did you see what he said? Wake up, get up, and shine. Wake up. Do you know that we can do all kinds of things in our sleep? Some of us can exist our entire life in the sleep. Sleep walking, sleep talking, just sleeping, going through life sleeping. The Lord says, wake up. Wake up. Why? What is sleep? Sleep is being comfortable in the dark. I'm I'm comfortable here. It's nice and warm. It's dark. The Lord says, wake up. You pay attention to what's going on in the news? You see what's happening in the world? You see what's happening in the world, what's going on in the news, what's happening in the Middle East? Look at all those things. And then read Matthew chapter 24, where Jesus said, let me tell you about how the end of the times is going to look. Let me tell you what it's going to look like. There's going to be wars and rumors of war. Nation will rise up against nation. Ethnos against ethnos. Ethnic group against ethnic group. Doing battle with one another. People will align themselves with certain groups like, I don't know, the Muslim Brotherhood. And they'll be against, I don't know, the Christians and anybody else that's not of the Muslim Brotherhood. And they're going to try to wipe each other out. And they're going to change the face of all those things that are going on in the Middle East. And the Lord says, I'm telling you all this stuff not to freak you out. I'm telling you to say, lift your head. Your redemption is drawing near. Wake up. Then he says, get up. Get up. Arise. What is dead? 
Dead is being in a permanent place of darkness. Get out of that. Get up. Get up. Get up. Move forward. Be. Live your life. Do the things God's calling you to do now. Seize the day. Carpe diem. We have opportunity. So awake. Arise. And Christ will give you light. How is it that Moses' face shone? You guys remember? Moses' face shone because he spent time in the presence of God. And what happened? His face glowed. The people didn't want to look at it. It was so bright. Not like his face glowed like an eerie Martian sort of a way, but literally like beams of a flashlight. That's how his face was. You could hear the whole hum. It's a burning light coming off of his face. And everybody sees that light in their eyes like, oh man, Moses, turn down your face. So Moses puts a, he puts a veil over his face to, to, to cover it up and later on to hide the fact that it was fading away. What do we learn from that? Spend time in God's presence and you'll shine. Stay away from God's presence and the shine goes away. If you're asleep, wake up. If you're dead, get up. And let the light of Jesus Christ shine in you. Let it affect your world. Let it change everything that's going on around you, through you, in you. Wake up, get up, and shine. Come to Jesus. <clears throat> Romans chapter 13. Let's, let's look there real quick. Romans chapter 13, verse 11. Very similar passage. The Lord says, And do this knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent and the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry, that's partying, and drunkenness, not in lewdness, that's coarse jesting and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Don't play with the scorpion. Make no provision for the flesh. Don't play with it. Stand in the light. Be awake. Look at the world. You want to hear an amazing statistic? Here's an amazing statistic. May 14th, 1948 to present. Earthquakes have increased in regularity and in intensity. Anybody know what happened May 14th, 1948? Israel became a nation. And the prophetic clock began ticking. The prophetic clock that says, hey, I will not wait forever. At a time that you do not expect, I will come. And we wait and we watch and we pray and we walk in the light as he is in the light. I want to walk where Jesus is. Jesus is not there, I don't want to be there. If Jesus can't go to that movie, I don't want to go. If Jesus can't listen to that CD, I'm not going to listen to it. I'm not going to play with a scorpion. I want to be in the light, stand in the light, walk in the light. I want to do all those things that he's calling me to do. And then in verse 15 he says, So see them that you walk circumspectly. 
How many people use circumspectly in a sentence this week? <laughs> that many. Circumspectly comes from a Latin word that means to look around. Anybody ever ran into a pole before? <laughs> I got to tell you. When I was a kid, my dad would take us out every weekend we'd play football. And we're going out to the... To get to the football field, you had to cross the basketball courts, you know. And, and then um, they got several basketball courts and poles and tetherball poles and all kind of dumb poles in the way. And I, I said to Dad, Dad, throw me the long one. He said, go, son, go. So I take off running. <laughs> Hard as I can run. I'm looking over my shoulder because there ain't no sense looking where I'm going. I want to catch the ball. So I'm looking over my shoulder, and my dad just heaves it. Now, still to this day, I think he's aiming. Because he sees where I'm running, right? So he leans back, whoo, he throws that ball. And I run, oh, and I stress out, man. Stressed out, touching the fingertips. Catch that ball, pull it down, boom, right into a pole. Just so you know, I still had the ball. And I think that was the test. Dad came up and said, you kept the ball, son. Good job. (laughs) Walk circumspectly means watch out for the poles. (laughs) Pay attention to what you're doing, where you're walking, where you're stepping. Pay attention to where you're going, what's happening in life. Walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom, understanding what's going on. That's how we want to walk. See, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Now listen, I'm talking about the Bible's definition of a fool. What's the Bible's definition of a fool? Man that says in his heart, there is no God. He's a fool. Because God says, evidence of me is everywhere in creation. So a man who will not see, he's a fool. He's a fool. He says, walk in wisdom, guys, have your eyes open. Pay attention to where we're going. And then he says, he's going to give us several things. This is how you walk in wisdom. Look, he says, walk in wisdom, not as fools, but as wise. Understand the Proverbs and what the Proverbs lay out for us. Then he says, secondly, redeeming the time. Take advantage of the opportunities that God's given you. How many guys are in their mid-30s? Anybody? N- nobody? Man. Okay, listen, for you guys who are older than your mid-30s, I'm sorry about what I'm about to say. You guys who are in your mid-30s, you have 500 days left. Enjoy them. What? I don't know what kind of math you're doing, brother, but I got more than 500 days. Once you subtract all the junk that you are going to have to do, All the time you'll spend at work, all the time you'll spend sleeping, all the time you'll spend with time robbed from you from traveling to work, traveling back from work, just the average. You have 500 days left to do what you want to do. How are you going to spend them? 524 hour days. You don't have to sleep in those days. It's full days. How are you going to spend it? God says redeem the time. Redeem the time. There's a proverb that says, Lord, teach us to number our days. A psalmist writes about it. 
that we might apply the heart of wisdom. What's that mean to number our days? Realize I don't have forever. So if I want to walk in wisdom, I want to walk with my eyes open, watching for the poles. I'm going to have my eyes open. Hey, I want to redeem the time. I'm going to redeem the time. Is this what I'm doing, what I'm about to do, the best use of my time right now? Now, listen, I'm not the eternal killjoy. It's okay to have fun. I'm not saying you can't laugh, have fun, sit around, play cards with friends. All that stuff's good stuff. I'm just saying redeem the time. Because when it's over, it's over. You don't get a redo. You can't hit that little reset button on the video game module that goes blink and forgets everything you just did and pops up and you get to play it again. You don't get to do that in life. Redeem the time. My grandparents, I love my grandparents. My grandma is probably one of the most important people in my life. Loved her with every fiber of my being. She kind of had a weird concept of God. You know, he's uh, Santa Claus in the sky. And if I'm a good person, he's going to do good things for me. And it's a pretty common view, right? If I'm good, it's good. It's all good. Everything's good. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches there's nobody good. The Bible teaches that I have to receive Jesus Christ. It doesn't have to be a big deal either. It just means I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. And I will be saved. That's what Romans 10, 9, and 10 says. I put my faith and trust in him. I ask him to be Lord and Savior of my life. <clears throat> so I was afraid to talk to my grandma. I, man, I love my grandma. And we could talk about anything. But for whatever reason, man, I would always find a reason... Not to broach the subject. Now, we talk about church. We talk about the Lord. We talk about things. But I never would say, Grandma, you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior? I mean, you, are you trusting him? Never asked. She lived in Las Vegas, and we lived in California. And we got a phone call one day that uh, <clears throat> I think Jim was sick first. Grandpa was sick first. So Grandpa's sick, <clears throat> and... So I said, oh, okay, well, you know, Grandma will be praying for him, and, and uh, let me know, you know, if things aren't going well, I'll come out and see him. The next day, I got a phone call. Hey, uh, Grandpa's been plugged into a respirator all night. We're going to unplug him. He's unconscious. Somebody want to buy me that time back? Because you don't get it back. When it's gone, it's gone. My mama sat at his side at his bed. I couldn't even get there before he was gone. My mama sat at his bed and read him out of the Gospel of John while he's in a coma and unplugged. She got to chapter 6 of the Gospel of John before he died. Redeem the time. Right after that, Grandma got sick and slipped away. Didn't get to say a word to her. Redeem the time. I had millions of opportunities. And I let them all slip away. Walk in wisdom. Watch out for the poles. Redeem the time. For the days are evil. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Not any single one of us. So take advantage of the opportunities God gives you now. Because when they're gone, they're gone. We don't get them back. 
We can't have them back. Redeem the time. Take full advantage because the days are evil. In verse 17, he says, Walk in wisdom because you understand that you have a purpose. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Listen, God has a plan for each and every one of you. Me too. God has a purpose. There's a reason why you were created. The Psalm, Psalm 139 is a great psalm for this. It says, All my days are written in your book, when as yet there were none of them. The psalmist said, Man, Lord, you plan out my life, the, the points in my life before I was born. God has a purpose. Oh, there's no purpose in my life. Then get out of the darkness, get in the light, start walking in wisdom. And understand that God has a plan for your life. We think that the will of God is top secret. And if only I had the code, I could crack the code and know the top secret will of God. Do you really think God doesn't want to reveal to you his will for your life? That he's sitting there like, you know, some kind of cosmic killjoy. Okay, I have this will for you, but I'm not going to tell you. That's nice. No, no, that's nice. That's not God. That's not God. God says, ask and you will receive. Seek, you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. He wants to reveal. He wants to show us that purpose. And then in verse 18, he says, to walk in wisdom, we want to walk in power. Look what he says. And do not be drunk with wine. Just so you know, that is a plural imperative That means it is a commandment. For any of you who are thinking it's not a commandment, it doesn't command me anywhere not to be drunk. Uh, Yeah, it does. Plural command means it applies to us all, everybody. Do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation. Dissipation, that's evaporation. That's a loss. It just burns away. and, And what was that about anyway? Poof, it's gone. It's just gone. Time's just gone. What I do, what I say, who'd I say it to? Here's what Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones has to say about drinking. He says, Drink is not a stimulus, it's a depressant. It depresses first and foremost the highest centers of all in the brain. They are the very first to be influenced and affected by drink. They control everything that gives a man self control. Wisdom, understanding, discrimination, judgment, and balance. The power to assess everything. In other words, everything that makes a man behave at his very best and highest. The better a man's control, the better man he is. But drinking is something which immediately gets rid of control. That indeed is the first thing it does. To me... People, drunks, always like to say, oh, yeah, it's, I'm sorry, it's not my fault I was drunk. Listen, this is what drunk does. It just removes all the barriers between you acting like the real you and not acting like the real you. That's really who you are, what you do when you're drunk. Take away all self-control. That's really who you are. It's really what you're about. The Bible says don't do that. Don't be drunk with wine, which is a waste The Proverbs actually goes on to tell us about it. In uh, Proverbs 23, 
says, who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without a cause? Who has redness of the eyes? Those who linger long at the wine. Those who go in search of mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things. Your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea. Ever had the spins? You'll be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea. Or like one who lies at the top of the mast. Uh. And says, they have struck me, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake that I might seek another drink? Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now we're talking about a plural, imperative, passive command. A plural, imperative, passive command. That means this command is for everyone. Not just an elite few, for everyone within the church. For everyone. It's a command for us all. It is passive. That means you don't do it to yourself. You allow it to be done. You allow the Holy Spirit to fill you. You are commanded to do so, every one of us, to allow the Holy Spirit to fill us. And then, Scripture lays out for us that this is something that is in present tense only. What does that mean? That means you got to do it every single day. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't waste your time with being drunk. It strips you of any control that you have in your life. Rather, submit your life to the control of the Holy Spirit. Put yourself in the Holy Spirit's hands and allow the Holy Spirit to control your life, to guide your life, to lead your life, to direct your life. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Folks, we need a flood of the Holy Spirit in the church today. We need Him to wash away all the junk. Jesus said... Jesus said, out of our lives would spring living water, streams in the desert. Now, when you picture that, some people picture that streams in the desert. Oh, it's a pretty little stream in the desert. I live in the desert. There's no streams in the desert. You know what is a stream in the desert? A flood. That's the only time there's a stream in the desert. A flood. A flood. And it comes like this. And it's like, wow, look at all that water. I wish it was here the rest of the time. We want that in our lives every single day. A flood of the Spirit of God flowing through us. Walking circumspectly, walking in wisdom. What else? Then we want fellowship. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Be with one another. Christians should never isolate. We don't grow in isolation. We grow when we're together. That's how we grow. We want that fellowship. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks always for all things. That means, just like my Pollyanna wife would say, every opportunity, every challenge is an opportunity for praise. Every challenge is an opportunity for praise. Something goes wrong, flip it. 
You can focus on all the bad or you can focus on the good. God is still in control. He's still on high. I can always praise him for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I want to flip it. I want to take the challenge and praise God, giving thanks always. And finally, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Walking in wisdom. Submitting to one another in the fear of God means esteem others better than yourself. Look out not for your own needs, but for the needs of others also. The call this morning is for us to walk in the light, get out of the darkness, for us to walk in wisdom, looking for the poles with your eyes open, paying attention to where you're going and what you're doing and how you're getting there. And to set aside all those things in life that would control me, save the Holy Spirit. To allow the Holy Spirit to fill me up. He's the gas in the tank, folks. He's what makes it all work. And I need to do that every single day. Every single day I need to be reminded to walk in unity. Every single day I need to be reminded to walk in purity. Every single day I need to be reminded to walk in love. To walk in the light. To walk in wisdom. To make my life habitually about these things. Because that's how Jesus is. How did it all start in chapter 5? Imitate God as dear children. I want to walk like he walks. I want to be truth where word and deed meet. Amen? Let's pray. Why don't you stand with me? Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this time. We can uh, (coughs) come before you. Lord, and as we come before you, we just... Father, we thank you for the touch of your, your spirit and the wisdom that we find within the word of God. We pray, Lord, that we would be pliable, that we would allow you to mold us and make us, to shape us into your image, not to the image of the world, not doing all the things I used to do. That's a waste of time. But that I would redeem the time, because when it's over, it's over, and I can't have it back. I get one life, and I want to live it for you. Lord, I pray that I would understand your purpose. I pray, Lord, that I would know your direction. I pray, Lord, that I would be obedient to your will. I pray, Lord, that I would be obedient to your direction. Enable us, Lord Jesus, as we walk through this world to look like you. That when people see us, they'll see you. And Lord, we'll give you all the praise and the glory. We want to shine. We want to shine with your light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.